you know, um, I, it just feels like right now in my life that there are an extra extraordinary, I'll, I'll just say that, um, number of people that are battling cancer or battling COVID and um, or battling some type of sickness or disease or health condition or anxiety or depression. And that on top of, you know, what's happening around our world in places like Myanmar. I mean, I feel like we've stopped talking about that, but there's still such chaos in that country. And uh, I have friends that were actually had to leave the country who were our global partners there. And they posted yesterday about a pastor who was just killed this week um, because he was trying to give aid to someone. And so um, places like that, what's happening in Afghanistan, and it's so easy to just look at everything that's going on and to become overwhelmed by it or to become angry by it or frustrated. And uh, I was reading this morning in Galatians chapter 5, and this just struck me. Um, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Listen, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And not just when everything's good, but always. And uh, it just struck me in the midst of all of this crazy, and I feel like I'm in a almost an hour-by-hour hour battle for my thoughts some days. And so um, what a great word and challenge, um, Christina, to remember um, God's got it. He really does. And our responses really matter. And he's giving us grace daily for that. So um, our hosts are going to be around. If you are here and you did not receive... Um, something that looks like this, a little cup with um, juice and wafer. We are going to use this for communion at the end of the service. So if you're here and you did not get one, could you just throw your hand up and say, hey, I got skipped or I missed or I broke mine or I already drank it. Um, anything, you know, I just need another one. I didn't know we were supposed to save it. Um, so if you did not get one, it looks like I don't see any hands. It looks like we're all good. All right, we just wanted to make sure. Just put that to the side, if you would. We're going to get to that a little bit later uh, in the service today. I realized I didn't even open my computer, so I could just wing it, but heaven knows where that would take us. And so I don't want to do that. But in a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting a new series based on the book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. The life you've always wanted, and there are a couple chapters at the beginning that we're going to cover in the book in the month of October that really talk about this um, idea that if we're in, in Christ, we're a new creation, and all things have passed away, and old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Um, and how, like, how does that happen? What's that look like? How do we get there? And so there's an introductory part that we're going to cover in October, and then he gives us twelve spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, praise the Lord. And what we're going to do, we've done book studies before together, um, and we've usually gone one chapter a week. But this time, we're going to cover those three chapters in October, but then starting in November, we're going to cover a chapter a month. And each chapter is a corresponding spiritual discipline. And we're going to take a month to really talk through that spiritual discipline and give us time to actually learn how to apply that to our lives. And so it'll take us about a year to get through this book, and that's going to take an enduring spirit on all of our parts. And so these books will be available to purchase next week, but if you want to find it on Kindle or on Audible or however you read or listen, 
or um, I'll be selling them for $15 a piece. If you want to try to find one cheaper, you can do that too. Um, but we'll be, those will be available starting next week, and then we'll dive into that in the month of, starting in the month of October. But we're going to finish up a series today and next Sunday that we've called Church Matters. Church Matters. And that idea that church matters, meaning it's important, and church matters as the things that pertain to the church. And when we talk about this idea of church, in our culture, we use church a lot. Church is a building. Church is a service. Church is a group of people. Church is a denomination. Church is an organization. But biblically speaking, church is not those things. When Jesus said, I will build my church, that's why we think it matters, because Jesus is building it. He is talking about a group of people, a kingdom group of people that are about his mission, living his mission, carrying it out, and are walking in community together. And so that's what we believe when we talk about this word church. So we talked about the commodities of the church. Commodities of the church are not people. People are the church. So the commodities are what we bring as people. It's our giftings, it's our energy, it's our time, it's our resources. And all of these started with C, except for maybe next week. I'm really struggling with a C word, but we'll see what what happens. Um, And one word that I wanted to use, but I didn't, is the word commitment. Um, Because in our day and age, we're afraid of commitment. And we'll talk a little bit about this today, but... Um, you know, people will say, Pastor, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to commit f- to like serving every week, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll commit when I can. Um, and if we actually ran a business or we, and we said to our employees, hey, just show up when you're able. I mean, some people think that's how we run businesses <laughs> and it doesn't work that way. I mean, if we, in our homes, we're like, hey, kids, here's your chores. But, you know, if you get to them, if not, you know, the laundry can wait. And the pile grows. I mean, we don't do that in any area of our lives, but we feel like, well, we should do that in church. But yet, biblically, when the church talks about being committed to a group of people, a lot of people say, well, I'm a part of the universal church. I'm a part of the church that Jesus has all around the world. Praise God. But there's something about actually doing it side by side with real life people that actually forces you to work out some of your issues some of our issues, some of my issues. And that's what church is all about. And that's why we commit, not because we want you to be overwhelmed. In fact, we do not want you to overcommit, which is what other people do, because they're trying to find identity in their performance and not in the Lord. And so they they do too much to try. And so this idea of commitment, that's a mini sermon on commitment, if you will. But we really didn't have time to go into that deeply. Connection we talked about when we were at the park and being connected to the body of Christ, the idea of being a family. That's the language that Scripture uses. And we talked about if we're going to connect with people, being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry is a good idea. The sealing, we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit and making sure we don't put limits on what God can do because we serve a God that can do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And He will help us supernaturally. That might mean miracles, that might mean powerful demonstrations, but that might just mean being kind to someone. That might mean the ability to hold my tongue and exercise self-control. Sometimes that needs supernatural intervention, amen? Or not just hold my tongue, but hold my fingers, social media. Um, Maybe we just need the Spirit to help us supernaturally. 
And then we talked last week about culture and what makes us different as a church. And culture exists everywhere. Culture is in our churches. It's in our school. It's those unwritten rules. It's like how we do things. We talked about us, what restoration means to us, the table, what the table means to us. Why are we a church that has a table for a logo? That doesn't make a lot of sense. And we talked about our three key words, hope, honor, and humility. And so if you missed all those, that's a summary. And so if you want to go back on our podcast, you can listen to all of them. Excuse me, or on our Facebook page, you can watch the videos and you can get all of it. But today, we are going to talk about covenant and calling. Two C's. In case I don't get one next week, we'll just call it covenant and calling. And uh, I actually wanted to speak on something else today, but as I started to put that together, I realized that I think we need to have this conversation first. So we might do Covenant and Calling Part 1 and Covenant and Calling Part 2 next week. And if you've got your Bible, go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. It's in the New Testament, so near the the back half, if you're kind of scrolling through your phone or a paper Bible. Ephesians, chapter 3. And this is a letter that the Apostle Paul, who was a leader in the early church, wrote to a church in the city of Ephesus. These are real-life people, and he's writing to them. And he spends three chapters telling them what God has done for them and who they are as a result. Three chapters. No commands, no do this. Three chapters. All he does is tell them who they are. And he tells them things like, you're blessed, you're adopted, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're included, you're marked, you're sealed, you're alive, you're raised up. I mean, he goes on and on and on talking about what is available to us because of what Christ has done for us. Then, in 4, 5, and 6, he shows us, now what do we do as a result of that? How do we live because of who we are? And it's important That he tells us who we are and what has been done for us first. Because following Christ is first about what he did and what that makes us or who that makes us. And if we don't get that first, then we'll start trying to earn God's approval by what we do. Or we'll start being proud of how well we're doing and forget that it's really his mercy and not what I do at all that makes me who I am. And so it's important enough that half of the book is about that. And we're going to pick up in chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. And Paul says this, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Wow, that's an interesting phrase to use. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. For the sake of you Gentiles... And then Paul is going to do a digression. So if you've ever been in a conversation and you change subjects quickly and people were like, squirrel, um, and they were, they're like, can't you focus? Paul did it too because he's going to break off here and he's going to talk about something else and he's going to come back to this in verse 14. But we're going to talk about his digression and what he's saying because if you don't know, there were two types of people in the world at that time, Jew and Gentile, period. There were Jews who were the followers of God. They were God's covenant people. They were the people God chose to be set apart, to be different, to bring about his story on the earth. And if you weren't a Jew, by default, you were a Gentile. So Paul is saying, for the sake of the Gentiles, those who were not Jews, those are not in the in crowd. Verse 2, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. 
That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. There's that word again, mystery. Which has not been made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the good news about what Christ has done and who he's made us that he's just talked about in chapters 1 and 2, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, I read that, and some of you are like, I have no idea what that means, and some of you are like, okay, yeah, we get it. But if you you got to understand, if this would have been read back in Paul's day, when it was read, there would be like, <gasps> gasps in the crowd. Like, what are you talking about? We're going to come back, because it's not a big deal for us, but it's a big deal. And we'll come back to it. Verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel, by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Verse 10. Here we go. His intent was that now, through the church, this is why it matters, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? Huh? According to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What? We're making something known. Why are we making it known to people in heavenly realms and authorities and spirits and what? Huh? I mean, I get preaching the gospel to, peop- to flesh and blood people that need to hear it, but what are we making known? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at this. So let's go back to those two groups, Jew and Gentile, that are made one. In chapters 1 and 2, he's talked about like the dividing wall of hostility that brings together these two groups that were separate, but now they're one in Christ Jesus. And so when you, you've got to understand, I, there are not even people groups in our culture today that clearly demonstrate this. But imagine if you could wake up tomorrow and Democrats and Republicans would be one. <laughs> you can't see right. <laughs> it's like, no way. Yeah, or you woke up tomorrow and you turned on CNN, and all of the leaders of Black Lives Matter and Make America Great Again were at a table laughing together. Or all of the Christian leaders of the world and all of the Muslim leaders of the world were together as one. I mean, you can't... It's like... And the difference between Jew and Gentile would would be like even worse. And what Paul is saying is God has brought them together through what Christ has done. And the goal of the church now is to make that known to these spiritual forces, whether that be angelic forces or demonic forces, it's to make it known. 
that through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has made us one. And that's been his plan from the beginning. It's his eternal purpose. Like God has never had to change or thwart or stop or alter or adjust his plan throughout human history ever. This has been his plan from the beginning. He just didn't show all of his cards. And in fact, he still hasn't shown all of his cards. If you think of this idea, this manifold wisdom of God, it is like a, the word kaleidoscope. You know the little thing you look through and turn and twist, and it always makes a new picture. There's like, you never see the same picture twice. It's always different. That's the wisdom of God. You can't ever get to the end of it. You turn it just a little bit, and you're like, whoa, I, wow, whoa. Wow, and we are to make this manifold kaleidoscope wisdom of God known to these spiritual forces. I mean, we serve a God that is always accomplishing more than what it looks like. And next week, we're really going to talk about our individual lives because sometimes I feel like we get frustrated that we're not getting where we think we need to go or where God has even promised to take us. And we're like, why am I stuck here? And I promise you, God is at work and he is always doing more than you can imagine, immeasurably more than what you could imagine. And our call is to trust him and to live as his covenant people on the earth. That's our calling. And we're to make it known to these powers. I don't understand this. Scholars don't even understand it, and they don't agree. So <laughs> this is my best guess. I don't know if I should say that or not, but here's my best guess. As I look at the Scripture, what is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about these two groups that were made one. And they were not made one by force, by strength or by power. They were made one by Christ himself, God Almighty, giving himself up and submitting himself to death. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons believe in God. They believe he has power. But apparently they're not understanding of the manifold wisdom of God. Because demonic forces try to, they're, they're not submitted to God. They don't follow the ways of God, this idea of submission. Demonic forces will not submit. They, their goal is to control. If you remember, Satan wanted to be like God. I want to be like God. I want to call my own shots. I don't trust the manifold wisdom of God. That was Adam and Eve in the garden. We don't trust that God, we, God is keeping something by not letting us have every tree. They didn't trust the manifold wisdom of God that says, sometimes you don't get everything you want, or sometimes I'm going to take you down this path that looks dark, that looks frustrating, that looks down, but I promise you, down in the kingdom is up. And if we don't get this, we will find ourselves, even though we think we're reading the Bible, and even though we think we're trusting the Bible, we'll be using it in a forceful, coercive, strength, human strength type of way, and we're actually aligning ourselves with the kingdom of darkness, not the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, things work differently. Colossians chapter 2. 
Having disarmed, talking about Christ, the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So how did he triumph over demonic forces? The cross. This is a kingdom way. This was God's eternal plan in Christ Jesus. This is not something he had to do for a while, and then after the cross, now he jumps into strength mode. God will never force us as humans to do anything. He is not about force. He's not about, he's about submission. He's about honor. That's the way of the kingdom. Jesus came as the exact representation of the Father. And he submitted himself to death and he expects no less from his followers because it's a kingdom way. Still not convinced. Okay, 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery, sound familiar? A mystery hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They thought the way to win was to kill. And the way kill never, violence never produces peace. Ever. Ever. Not true peace. Not the type of peace that God's after that is peace in the heart. I mean, you might be able to get people to be afraid and submit because they're afraid. But violence is not the way of the kingdom. 1 Peter chapter 3. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. And then down in verse 17, It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. I'm not talking about that we have to actually go out and look to be harmed or look to hurt, but there is a kingdom way that I don't know that the church is buying into, especially the church in America. The church around the world, I think, is getting it more than we do. Because in America, it's all about just adding God to my life so I can have a good life, so I can have a nice house, so I can have a good car, so I can have a good job, so I can get more for myself, and so I can live peaceful in all of my relationships. And all my, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do because I want it my way. And in some ways, it's a very subtle line between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And we have to be careful. And you can attach scripture verses to it and make it look like kingdom of God and that doesn't make it kingdom of God. You've got to know this book through and through. You've got to know it cover to cover. You've got to know the story that goes throughout it. You can't just lift parts of it off a page that might be a poem, that might be just a story, that might not even be factual, but is a story like a parable and you may misapply it just because you want to get something for yourself or you want to have a certain way of life and so I'm going to take it and I'm going to twist it. It's important we stay in community and we study this book together to make sure none of us is deceived because in the last days a deception is coming on the earth that could deceive even the elect. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, that's not me, you are the prime target. 
Every single one of us should be like, that could be me. I want to get deeper in this book. I want to do it in community with people, not community of people that are on Facebook land somewhere out there or some of my favorite teachers that I don't even know. I mean, we, we Google stuff. We Google teachers and we Google scientific information from not even real people. We don't know anything about them. You want to have a conversation about science? Talk to your local doctor. You want to have a conversation about the Bible? Talk to people that you do life with, that you can see the, their life and the fruit of their life. I mean, anybody can throw scriptures together and make it sound true. We want to walk this out in our daily lives. And we want to show, we want to show not only the world around us, but the demonic forces that we trust the story. If it costs me my life, I trust the story that he's telling. That's what he's calling us to. In, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13, a couple verses after we stop, Paul says this, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Somehow, the sufferings of Paul are actually for the glory of the church. I don't get that, but I do know that Jim Elliot was a missionary to Ecuador and he was killed because the tribe that he was trying to reach with the gospel didn't understand him. And at 29 years old, with a wife and a child, he gave his life for the kingdom. But I also know that there's a church today in Ecuador that would not be there had he not been willing to do what he did. I don't understand it. Men like J.W. Tucker who gave his life, who the villagers that he was trying to reach killed him, threw his body in the river, and the crocodiles ate him. And years later, another missionary comes on the scene and hears that this tribe has to hear the message of anyone whose blood ran in their river. And he gets the opportunity because somebody's blood ran in the river. This is the way of the kingdom. This is who God is. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. He is compassionate. He is gracious. Yes, I know. He is, he is just and He is true and He's all these other things. I mean, we're, yeah, and His mercies are new every morning. And this is what Jesus demonstrated for us. This is what we're to be living for the world to see in our church and in our lives. Colossians 1.24 I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. That does not mean that what Christ did isn't sufficient for us. That means that somehow our suffering, somehow our humbling ourselves is actually taking what Christ did and reapplying it in new situations. And so when I humble myself at work, instead of spout off at work, I'm actually taking on Christ's sacrifice and I'm applying it to my workplace. That's what it means to be a covenant people, a people who trust God's version of the story, that we trust that we're in a kingdom that serves rather than asserts oneself, a kingdom that gives up our rights and privileges, not a kingdom that fights to keep them. He did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, but he released it. Why? Because he trusted the Father. He trusted the Father. He could lay down his rights and privileges because the Father was ultimately in control of them. Nothing could happen to him except the Father will it. 
Pilate's like, don't you believe, don't you know I could kill you? <laughs> and Jesus chuckles. I don't know if he chuckled, but I imagine him chuckling. You have no power over me. We're not given to you from above. And yet we cling to stuff that we couldn't possibly hold on to if God was, was taking it. So it's easy to live that way in the kingdom because we trust the story. God has been doing it since the beginning of eternity. He has called us to be his covenant people. Now, I'm going to try to give you a quick synopsis of covenant, but I could do like a 10-year series on this. God is about covenant. We don't understand covenant because we live in a contract society. Contract means here's what I'm doing, here's what you're doing. If you break what you're doing, I'm breaking what I'm doing. Covenant is here's what I'm committed to do no matter what. And here's what I'm committed to no matter what. So if you violate covenant, I'm staying faithful to covenant because I'm in covenant. Now, there are consequences written into covenant if you break covenant that you'll suffer consequences for, but I will never break covenant. That's why God is a covenant God. He made a covenant in the garden with Adam and Eve. He gave them dominion over the earth to rule it and to represent him, to be his representatives. They didn't want to be like him. They wanted to assert themselves. They wanted to be like him. They, wa- they, they chose the anti-story. They broke covenant with God. And now there are consequences, not just for them, but for all of us. But do you know what? God never broke covenant. Genesis 3.15 He talks about the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head even though you will strike his heel. Not just alluding to to prophets and kings and the nation of Israel, but ultimately to Jesus and what Jesus would do. So God in the midst of them violating the covenant says, I'll never violate it. He has a covenant with Noah. And at the end of that covenant, he promises, I'll never destroy the earth with a flood again. Every nation on the earth at that time had a flood story that was always about putting fear in people's hearts to appease the gods. Why do you think people sacrificed their children to gods? Imagine how hard that would be to sacrifice your living child outside the womb to a god and hear its cries and screams. But you do it because you're afraid if you don't, the gods won't be happy and you won't get enough rain for your crops and it'll destroy all of you. See how fear does crazy stuff to us? And yet God in the midst of that does a flood story and he says, you know what? Violence doesn't solve anything. I killed the whole earth and I'm going to start over with Noah. Did that deal with the sin problem? Nope. And so God says, I'm a different kind of God. I'm not going to destroy the earth with a flood again. I'm making a covenant. Then he makes a covenant with Abraham. He finds a guy. He's going to establish a covenant people to be set apart, to be different, to trust the story. And in Genesis 15, he tells him to take animals for the covenant because when they did a covenant, they cut animals in half. Read Genesis 15. It's an interesting story. You cut the animals in half and you lay them out and you both walk through the animals. And as you get blood on the, the, the fringes of your robe as you pass through this, it's a blood covenant. What you're saying is, may I, become like these animals if I break covenant. And the funny thing is, is Abraham never walks through the animals because Abraham realizes something. I can't make this covenant with God because I'll never be able to keep it. And so you know what God does? He walks through for both of them. Church, none of us will ever be able to live up to the covenant. And that's why Jesus satisfied it on our behalf. And that's why his blood speaks a better 
things than the blood of Abel. Because Abel demands justice. And Jesus says mercy. Oh, the Bible is such a cool book. You should read it. It's really great. But anyway, so then he makes a covenant with Israel. They're going to be a kingdom of priests who put him on display. Yes, there were consequences because they violated the covenant, so they went into exile. But do you know what God says over and over? I will not forsake the covenant. I will not forsake the covenant. He never breaks covenant. Even when they're in exile, he brings them back. He makes a covenant with David that he's always going to have a son on the throne. And voila, Jesus comes, and then there's a new covenant. And the question in the new covenant is, do we trust it? Do we trust that Jesus came as the exact representation of the Father? That his nature is not to dominate, to control, or to force his way, but he demonstrated the way of the kingdom. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb, Jesus, who was slain from the creation of the world. This is the kingdom. It wasn't just the way God did things until the cross, and now he's doing them a different way. This is the kingdom. And as keepers of the covenant, we are to demonstrate the wisdom of God to disarm the powers and the principalities. Last week we alluded to what Romans chapter 12 says, when we overcome evil with good. We're not just showing off to the principalities and powers. We're not just being like, ha ha, look at you. You thought God was dead, but he beat you. Yeah, look at us living it. No, when we live it before them, when we show them the wisdom of God in its manifold wisdom, its kaleidoscope form, we are actually disarming them. Yeah. And if you want to try to win people with the gospel, you've got to first disarm the powers and authorities, the God of this age that has blinded them. We're just thinking, oh, if I could just learn the, you know, the four spiritual laws, if I could just get some tracks, I'll be able to help people understand the gospel, and I'll be able to go out on a street corner and preach so people can hear the gospel, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're not disarming the powers that have blinded them, they're not going to hear. And how do you disarm the powers? By living in the wisdom of God by being willing to lay our lives down. And for the most part, we want to tell people the truth, but we don't want to lay our lives down. I know that I, I, I didn't even want to say that. But, and I'm not saying you, me. I don't, like to, I don't like to let people go first. I don't even like to let people go first in line or in the car. Like... Why do we have this incessant need that it's me first? That king, that's so anti-kingdom and it has to die. And every time we come to the Lord's table, it's a reminder of that covenant. That covenant. Jesus talked about that covenant with his disciples in John chapter 13 when he washed their feet. He said, I'm your Lord, I'm your master, and I washed your feet and I'll do that for each other. And, you know, it's not about having foot washings. It's about serving others. Well, they, they got themselves in that mess. They need to get out. You've missed the whole point. I mean, thankfully, we're washing each other's feet in a church service, but we're not actually serving each other in real life. It's not about the, the traditions and the, the ceremonies. It's about living as people of the covenant. 
And in that moment, Jesus says in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you on a cross, bleeding, dying, so you must love one another. Are we really willing? I mean, maybe that's why Jesus said count the cost. Oh, Pastor, I was just trying to get to heaven when I died. No, that's not kingdom. Kingdom is lay my life down. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul has talked to the church about all of the things going on, there's all kinds of sexual immorality, there's all kinds of sin rampant in the church. And then we come to chapter 11, and he says in verse 17, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. What egregious sin are they committing? They're mistreating each other, and they're doing it centered on the Lord's Supper. They're having this fellowship meal where they're remembering the sacrifice of Christ, but yet they're mistreating one another. They're not serving one another. It doesn't matter exactly what's happening in that contextual culture. It wouldn't be the same for us. In other words, if I'm just going to take communion and then I'm, hey, everybody, see you next week. Good luck. That's not kingdom. I mean, I just want a place where, you know, I can come and hear a message and go home. That's not kingdom. And I want to be a kingdom church. Some days I don't know how to be a kingdom church. It's, we don't, I don't know that we have a lot of model for this in America. Because we, we kind of all go our own separate ways. And I watch over the last couple years just the way we in the church have responded to what's happening around us. And this verse comes to mind, Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? Church, what is coming in the future would be compared to what we've faced over the last couple years. We're running on foot right now. And what's coming is a race with horses. And we're already worn out. And it would be easy to say we're worn out because we faced all of these extraordinary circumstances, but I think we're worn out because we're just afraid to die. And I don't mean physically. I mean to ourselves. We've missed it. If you stumble in the safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? And so the Lord says, hey, you've got to do this regularly. Because when you come to this table together, it's a reminder of the covenant. And why is that a big deal? Well, it's a reminder of what Christ has done for us. And why is that a big deal? Because I can't be faithful to the covenant. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I'm just saying in reality, I will never be able to perfectly be faithful to the covenant. I can't. That's why he did it for me. And that's a reminder that I don't have to live in guilt and shame and condemnation and fear and frustration at myself because he is faithful to the covenant. And he promised to stay faithful until it's finished. Now, there may be consequences for violating the covenant, but he will never forsake us. 
And so I don't care what kind of mess you've made of your life. When we take these elements in a few minutes, when we drink this juice and eat this cracker, it's a reminder that God is fighting for you. And I don't care what mess you've made. If you come to him and say, I made a mess, could you help? He responds to the cry of the oppressed. He does it over and over and over. That's who he is. He is overwhelming mercy for us. But the second, it's not just a reminder. It's the responsibility of the covenant. I cannot sit here and think about the mercy he's extended towards me and then not be merciful to others. Paul in chapter 11 goes on after he talks about eating the the bread, which represents the body of Christ broken for us, and the blood, which is the new covenant. It's It's a blood covenant, just like it was with Abraham. And he says in verse 27, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And, I mean, I grew up, Think hearing that, you know, you have to examine yourself and make sure there's no unconfessed sin in your life because if there's unconfessed, here's the thing. If I have to make sure there's no unconfessed sin in my life before I take this, I'll never take it. Because of course there's sin in my life. Some of it I'm not even aware of yet. I can't be faithful to the covenant. No, don't receive God's grace in vain. Don't be flipping towards sin. Yes, confess things you're aware of. I get it. But that's not this context. He goes on to talk about the context after he says, examine ourselves. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. Us. Us. We're not just in covenant with God. We're in covenant together with God. And if we mistreat each other and we just keep drinking juice and eating crackers and confessing all the other sins, we've missed the whole point. And we're actually drinking judgment on ourselves. That's why Jesus told the parable of the unmerciful servant. And you've received mercy. How could you not have had mercy on your your fellow servant? Throw him where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth where he will never get out. Because nothing that anyone ever does to me will ever compare to what I've done to him with everyone because if people are if people live in toxic ways and they harm you and they abuse you yes absolutely there are consequences to covenant where we can't be as close as because we have to keep our love on i don't have to give everyone access to my life here's the boundaries these are healthy boundaries and if you don't want to agree to the boundaries then you don't get to come in here Because I've got to protect my heart. But I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to reach out to you. You know, it's interesting that Paul talks about putting someone outside the church. Treat them like you would an outsider. And we in the church world, we're like, well, when we put someone out of the church, we treat them like an outsider. Well, how was, what's that mean? Does that mean you're mean to them? Well, no, we love our enemies. If we treat them like an outsider, does that mean that that we don't ever talk to them again? No, we talk to outsiders. How else are they going to hear the gospel? So what does it mean to treat them like an outsider? Access to the inner part. You got to keep them over here until they realize, hey, you you can't be a toxic person. You can't abuse people and still have access to them. That's not how it works. You've got to take responsibility as a covenant person to do things that way, and, and then we can come back into close relationship again 
So putting people out of the church isn't a way to be mean to them. It's just saying, you don't get on this side because I got to protect my heart. I know that's a whole lot, and that could have been seven sermons today. You guys are amazing that you soaked all that in. So today, we're going to take, and we're going to eat a cracker, and we're going to drink juice, and we're going to remember the covenant. We're going to remember the covenant. We're going to remember what Christ has done for us. And if you're here today overwhelmed by guilt or by shame or by something in your life, this is a reminder that you can sit that at the feet of Jesus today. All you got to do is confess, which means, Lord, I I broke covenant with you. It's not like he's going to be like, what? What? He knew we could never keep covenant. That's why he did it for us. And he just sits and waits for us to to admit it to him. I mean, imagine hiding it from him. He knew it before you were born. And so my prayer is that as you remember it, that waves of mercy just over this room. Because some of you are in such inner turmoil today because you just can't measure up to someone's expectation. And I'm here to tell you today you don't have to. But I also, I also want us to not just remember what he's done, but I want us to understand the responsibility of the covenant. And maybe today we're going to need to confess or repent of some ways that we've treated other people or the ways that we've, all, we've violated the covenant by trying to force something. And so let, let's pray together. And as we do, I want you to do what Corinthians says. I want you to examine your heart. Say, Holy Spirit, show me. Show me the ways that I've broken covenant that I need to make right, right now. And it might be worry. It might be that you've allowed worry and fear and anxiety to fill your heart. Don't sit there condemned today. Just confess it and say, I need mercy. Have mercy on me. I'm a covenant breaker today. You said not to worry, and yet I've taken it. I've worried all week long, and I've, I've just annoyed everyone around me because of my incessant worry, and I've told everybody about so-and-so and what so-and-so has done and how they've done it and how much of a mess my life is, and I just keep talking about it, and I just keep putting it out there. But I realize I can rest in you right now, that you're putting pieces back together, even though it looks like such a mess right now. And I need to confess. I need to repent of worry. I need to work. I need to repent of fear. I need to repent of how I've acted toward other people. Christ, where I just show up on Sunday and I go home and live my life, but I'm not really connected to the body of Christ. I need to repent of that. And Holy Spirit, I need grace to see how to connect. Any way that I've used control or power or force or manipulation to get anyone to do anything, I repent today. I don't want to partner with the kingdoms of this world. I want to demonstrate submission to you. I want to demonstrate that you're at work. I want to trust your version of the story. Holy Spirit, we need your help to be keepers of the covenant. To put your kingdom on display in our workplace.
to put your kingdom on display on our social media pages, to put your kingdom on display towards our neighbors, towards other businesses in our community, towards other believers, other churches in our community and around the world. Holy Spirit, we need your help today. And so we are are so grateful for what this juice and this cracker represent to us today. They represent new life that you have made available to us because of the sacrifice of Christ. And we confess freely today that we've sinned, that we've broken your law, that we've broken covenant with you. The covenant that you made with the entire world, we, just like Adam, we've broken your law. But we confess that sin to you today. And we put confidence in the work of Christ and what he has done for us. And we receive that blood, that promise that was given for us. But we don't want to just receive your covenant. We want to make you Lord of our lives and we want to remember covenant. And we want to treat people differently. We want to live differently. We want to talk differently. We want to post differently. We want to be keepers of the covenant. So give us grace today. We recognize that we're not just eating a cracker and drinking juice today. We're coming into union with you again in a powerful way and asking that you produce the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control in our lives. And we know you'll be faithful to do it. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the, the elements today. Holy Spirit, I ask for tangible sense of your mercy right now. On people in this room that today are just overwhelmed by any situation that's been afflicted upon them or self-inflicted. Wave after wave after wave of mercy. Not just over these next few moments, but throughout the day. God, may they find themselves overwhelmed over and over again with your mercy today. And Holy Spirit, in our hearts, we want to be a church We want to be a covenant-keeping church. We want to strive for full restoration, not just in our lives, but in our world. And we want to put your manifold wisdom on display to every power and principality that's watching. We want to disarm them the same way you did by laying down our lives. So help us to walk in your kingdom. Every day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, thank you for being here with us this morning. And uh, if you want to visit with me, uh, I'll be available here after the service. If you have questions or you maybe don't understand exactly what we just did, 
or you want prayer for anything, I'll be available just for a few moments here after the service. Would love to take the opportunity to pray with you right down here in front. And uh, if you're ready to be dismissed, God bless you as you go. Don't forget to stop by the table in the back. If you're a guest, uh, we've got a gift for you out there. And if you're not a guest, we have a backpack. It's a gift for you. So you're not left out today too. But uh, thank you for being here today. God bless you as you go.